This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. A Chinese solar panel maker raided by Homeland Security Officers exercised search warrants in the Golden and Sunshine states this week, but DHS is staying tight-lipped on the details. That's alongside rising concerns over forced labor in Asia, where most U.S. solar panel gear comes from. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Homeland Security officers descending on a factory and office this week. The facilities are owned by one of the world's largest solar panel makers, China's Jinko Solar Holding Company. A DHS spokesperson explained that search warrants were executed in Florida and California on Tuesday. He noted they're part of an ongoing federal investigation, but didn't give details. Jinko is based in Shanghai, but operates a solar panel factory in Jacksonville, Florida, and a sales and operations office in San Francisco. The company is one of few global solar manufacturers that have set up domestic production in recent years. Most U.S. solar panels are imported from Asia. In the last year, Jinko and other large Chinese solar panel makers have had shipments of equipment detained by U.S. customs officials. That's under the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act, a new law banning imports from China's Xinjiang region over forced labor concerns. But Jinko and others have seen those shipments released in recent months. In response to the raid, Jinko said it was operating normally and engaging constructively with relevant agencies to understand the nature of the inquiry. The Chinese Communist Party has targeted three American companies in the last three months, citing security concerns. Their offices in China have been raided and some staffers were detained. Canadian intelligence sources are speaking out about Chinese infiltration, some of them in their boldest language yet. A former Canadian intelligence official on Thursday stated that for decades, every Canadian government has been compromised by the Chinese Communist Party in one way or another. Michelle Juno Katsaya spoke before the House of Commons Standing Committee on Procedure and House Affairs. Here's his comment. I want to be very clear. We can prove that Every federal government, from Mr. Mulroney to Mr. Trudeau, have been compromised by agents of the Communist China. Every government were informed at one point or another. Mr. Mulroney served as Canadian Prime Minister in the 1980s, meaning the timeline described by the official covers the last four decades. But how did it reach this point? Juno Katsuya, former senior official with the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, had this to say. Not only the sitting government have been compromised, but all federal par political parties have been compromised at one point or another. Every government chose to ignore CISU's warning either by negligence, self-interest, or partnership, a partisanship, sorry. Juno Katsuya pointed out that Beijing's efforts are only one part of the problem. It is also caused by our own candidates, elected official, political staff that are either naive or calculate intentionally to gain power with the assistance of the Chinese government. Juno Katsuya further stated that around two-thirds of China's diplomats in Canada are spies and part of the CCP's intelligence gathering network. 
He made a recommendation that lawmakers should confirm they are not under anyone's influence and should be subject to restrictions on their actions on behalf of foreign states, even after leaving politics. With all that going on, tensions are high between Canada and the Chinese regime. Canada expelled a Chinese diplomat earlier this week over accusations that he threatened a Canadian lawmaker and his family. And Canadians are reacting to the news. Here's the story. The Canadian government on Monday expelled Chinese diplomat Zhao Wei, who had been based in Toronto. Zhao was accused of targeting Canadian lawmaker Michael Chong and intimidating his family members in Hong Kong in 2021. Former Canadian Member of Parliament Kenny Chiu tells NTD his reactions. I think the, the reaction from Canada, it's not only measured, but some would argue that it's a bit late. However, having a response is better than not having any response, I suppose. The Chinese diplomat targeted Chang because he was outspoken about the Chinese regime's human rights abuses. Gloria Fung, president of Canada Hong Kong Link, says Canada should have taken action two years ago. If Michael Chang, as the opposition party's shadow foreign minister, could have been threatened and intimidated, we could imagine how much worse it will be for ordinary Canadians to be targeted. This is an extremely serious case of transnational repression. Jonathan Fan, president of the Canadian Asian Community Think Tank, points out the role that Hong Kong's national security law played in this incident. Member of Parliament Michael Chong has a Hong Kong background, so that means the Hong Kong national security law was used as a tool to persecute foreign relatives. Chinese-Canadian author and human rights activist Sheng Shun says Canada's decision to expel Zhao reflects the public opinion of Canadians. She calls it a win for Canada's democratic values. By now, Canada and most democracies around the world have learned their lessons and have come to a clear understanding of the nature of the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese regime responded to the expulsion of Zhao by expelling Canadian diplomat Jennifer Lin Lalande, who was based in Shanghai, a day later. A parade through the heart of New York City, over 5,000 taking to the streets of Manhattan Friday to celebrate the world Falun Dafa Day. They are adherents of Falun Gong, a peaceful meditation practice based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. The group has been the target of a brutal persecution campaign for over two decades in China. But many of them found new freedom in the United States. NTD's Arlene Richards was on the ground to see what's happening. It's been 31 years since the practice of Falun Dafa was first introduced to the public. Practitioners in Manhattan celebrate with a marching band, floats, and a parade through the city. And what a grand parade it was. The celebration kicked off with the beat of the drums from the Tianguo marching band and a heartwarming tune that sings Falun Dafa is good. Falun Dafa, also known as Falun Gong, was first introduced to the public on May 13, 1992, in China, but soon spread around the world. It consists of gentle meditation exercises and a book that teaches how to be a good person. I got a friend that I knew since I was nine years old, something like that, and when he starts practicing, I could notice like a very big difference. He like started looking more healthy, he, he starts like getting 
His skin looks better, everything looks, looks better, and like I got very impressed by it. Practitioner Frederico Vitovic said he also changed for the better after joining his friend to learn the practice. I used to be a very anxious person, have like some symptoms of depression and stuff like that. I used to smoke and drink and right now like I don't do any of this stuff and like uh, I don't have like any problems of healthy. I feel healthier than ever. In addition to receiving health benefits, practitioners elevate their moral character by striving to live by the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. I would find myself occasionally getting into argument with mama, with my mother. And uh, after running from DAFA, I realized that I should gauge myself on the principles of DAFA, which is to be forbearance and, of course, to be compassionate toward her. Uh, after, after the arguments, I would uh, reflect on myself and be regretful about what I did. And gradually, I learned to refrain from talking back. Chen Yan Lee said he learned to not get stressed out about life matters and to just go with nature. People walking on the streets and on their lunch breaks stopped to watch the parade and take pictures. Patricia Dinez says she was a little emotional. Well, I lost my son five and a half years ago, and a lot of people just don't have that kind of compassion, and this is helping relieve some of that tension. It's beautiful. They have signs up about compassion and tolerance. And I'm very, um, I'm a strong believer of compassion and tolerance, so I'm enjoying it. The parade also raises awareness about the persecution of the practice in China. Numerous adherents have died after having their organs removed while they were still alive. I think it's so wonderful that people are able to express their thoughts and they're able to protest um, live uh, organ uh, retrieval from innocent people, and I think that's horrible. So it's interesting getting to know what's happening with the uh, persecuted Falun Dafa back in China. Um, so hopefully we'll find out more about it, and they're doing a wonderful job spreading awareness in a way that is interesting and uh, getting people motivated to actually find out about it. The parade route starts at the Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza, passing through Times Square and ending at the Chinese consulate. Arlene Richards, NTD News. A new trend among China's wealthy. Now it's in fashion to invest money outside the country and even buy a second home overseas. Following three years under the world's toughest COVID-19 curbs, Daniel Bian is among a flood of Chinese residents hunting for property in Thailand. On a recent trip there, he said he felt alive and free, a contrast from life at home. Here's more. Hello, Bangkok, shouts Daniel Bian flown in from Shanghai and touring a luxury apartment in the capital of Thailand. It's a moment of freedom to relish after three years of living under some of the world's toughest COVID-19 rules. Since Beijing opened its borders this year, many mainland Chinese like Bien have been flocking to Thailand to snap up investment properties, keen for a safety net in case of a similar disease outbreak and for a hedge against economic risks at home. Bian says he's also attracted to the lifestyle that Thailand offers. Everyone in China is thinking about the ways and opportunities through which they can make their money grow. The property market in Thailand is definitely something we discuss as a possibility. And if we have in-depth discussions about whether we really want to buy one property in Thailand, we definitely feel like there are plus factors, like we will be able to holiday, there's more freedom and convenience in Thailand the freedom to enter or leave the country, to travel back and forth. 
as well as the freedom of society and life. Freedom is very important. Thailand expects at least 5 million Chinese visitors this year, with some set on snapping up property. The country's good international schools and quality medical facilities make it an attractive place for a second home. The share of Chinese students at Singapore International School, Bangkok, rose to about 12% this year, up from 6% before the pandemic. Thai rules do, however, limit foreign ownership to just under half of the units in any apartment block development. But that hasn't put off prospective buyers from pouring in. Real estate agent Owen Zhu escorted Bian and his 70-year-old mother around three different apartments in the city. He says most of his clients are looking for properties, typically costing more than 2 million yuan, or about 300,000 US dollars. Zhu says that would only get you a simple home in a first-tier Chinese city like Beijing. Before the pandemic, most Chinese buyers bought middle or low-level homes for investment because they can earn more by getting a cheaper property. But it has changed a lot after the pandemic. Most of the Chinese choose to buy luxury apartments to live in. It's not just Bangkok that's luring in buyers. Chiang Mai in the mountainous north is popular, as well as the region of Isan in the east and the beach resort area of Pattaya. The world's seven strongest economies are weighing whether to cut reliance on China. Germany's finance minister made the comment Friday. Leaders from the group, called the Group of Seven or G7, are meeting in Japan. Tokyo has been leading efforts to diversify supply chains away from China. That's by building partnerships with low- and middle-income countries through investment and aid. The U.S. is at the forefront as well and continues to push for stronger steps. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has called for targeted controls on investment from China. That's to counter what she called Beijing's economic coercion against other countries. But for the G7, it remains to be seen if member nations would cut any specific details on beefing up supply chains. For Germany, despite wanting to reduce reliance on China, it's cautious of how Beijing would perceive the action. The Chinese regime could see it as the G7 forging a front against it. China has been Germany's most important trading partner for seven years in a row. In 2022, the two-way trade stood at over $300 billion. Japan is also skeptical about Yellen's call to restrict investment tied to China. Government officials say that's due to the huge impact such a move could have on global trade. British finance minister said Thursday that G7 must counter China's economic coercion, but he didn't mention investment controls. In response, China on Friday denied using its economic power for influence. Beijing is also urging the G7 to, quote, embrace the trend of openness and inclusiveness. A foreign spokesperson, Wang Weibin, also denounced NATO for expanding into Asia-Pacific. Japan is in talks to open a NATO liaison office, confirmed by Japan's foreign minister. The office would be the first of its kind in Asia for the U.S.-led military alliance. Japan is currently facing its own threats closer to home amid rising regional tensions and a fragile global landscape. China has seen a resurgence in COVID-19 cases in recent weeks. Experts say the new rise is largely being caused by an offshoot of the Omicron variant called XBB. And this new variant is becoming dominant in China. 
The XBB variant has now become the dominant strain in China, accounting for around 74.4% of COVID-19 cases. The latest surge followed China's Labor Day travel boom in early May. Most patients reported fever, cough, sore throat, and muscle pain. My daughter and I were infected on the same day. I took fever reducers. Now I can't walk anymore. I feel no strength in my legs, and my bones hurt a lot. Many tested positive for COVID-19 again after recovering from the previous outbreak a few months ago. I'm on day four of my second infection. My husband is worse this time because he didn't get infected before the Lunar New Year. He went to the hospital today. That was a long queue at the clinic. Authorities are still calling for vaccinations. But experts flagged safety issues with China's homegrown vaccines. For example, the mRNA vaccine that Beijing rolled out earlier this year didn't even complete clinical trials. The regime also failed to release data on the vaccine's side effects. Coming up, China has the worst religious freedom record in the world. That's according to an annual report published by the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Melina Weiskopf with NTD's Capital Report spoke to the chair of the organization, Nuritri Kell, to find out why. More in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China is the worst nation in the world when it comes to freedom of belief. That's according to an annual religious freedom report. To break down the key findings of spiritual suppression in China, Melina Weiskopf with NTD's Capital Report spoke to the chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, Nuri Tukel. Here's what he had to say. So, Nuri, I want to first ask your overall takeaway with reported with the reporting you've done on China's human rights abuses, specifically against people of faith. We know this regime persecutes people from all walks of faith, including Christians, Muslims, Falun Dafa practitioners. What's the latest takeaways from this year's report with regards to China? Um, th- first of all, thank you very much for highlighting our report. Um, as you may know that we have been recommending um, and um, identifying China as a CPC country since 1999. Uh, CPC stands for country of particular concern. Uh, this was year after the uh, the law enacted that established our office and the Office uh, of International Religious Freedom at the State Department. The reason that I'm bringing this up is because instead of making improvements in Chinese government's treatment of uh, people of faith, of people of belief, they have been ratcheting up and and turning this uh, regime into a genocidal regime. Uh, They have been uh, ruthlessly persecuting uh, religious uh, uh, groups, including the Uyghur Muslims, uh, Tibetan Buddhists, Christians, Falun Gong practitioners. Uh, The the human rights situation, religious freedom situation in China has significantly uh, deteriorated since last year. That includes uh, sinicization of religion, uh, elevating the religious practices of uh, individuals, as I just named, or the groups that I've named, uh, into the national security level. The Chinese government uh, publicly, openly labels people of faith uh, into some some sort of people who had mental illness, were affected with uh, thought viruses. 
just last year, we have seen a, a number of significant developments, including the ongoing Uyghur genocide that is in its six, seven year uh, persecution of Tibetan Buddhists, uh, blocking or restricting their access to religious sites, uh, religious gatherings, destroying um, uh, sites of religious significance. And also we have seen uptick uh, in the pressure on the Falun Gong community. Uh, 172 Falun Gong deaths were reported last year. Uh, and the, the persecution of the Catholic uh, community also needs some attention. Uh, Chinese government not only failed to fulfill its uh, obligation under the Vatican-China agreement, at least to be able to uh, allow uh, Vatican to have a saying in the appointment of bishops, they have been forcing the Chinese Catholics to uh, pledge, uh, pledge allegiance to the uh, Patriotic Catholic Association. And also, most disturbingly, uh, the Chinese have been using its soft power, uh, economic power, and malign activities to silence uh, international community that includes UN Human Rights Council. Wow, definitely a lot of very important information you just laid out there. And, you know, I want to hone in on a point you just mentioned that China's situation has degenerated. I want to point out a recent case. You said the uptick of persecutions um, specifically related to Falun Gong practitioners. There was a recent case of a 30-year-old young man named Peng Shun, who is actually a radio host in China. He died this past December. I'm sure you're familiar with this case um, after the Chinese regime persecuted him. Now, we have seen footage of his body uh, shown covered in bruises and what appear to be electric baton marks from the torture that he was exposed to. Uh, and this is not just one case. There are many like this. So I want to know from your perspective, what kind of volume of cases are you seeing similar to this type of inhumane treatment? The uh, Falun Gong practitioners has been subject to all forms of torture, uh, physical abuse, um, hospitalization under the guise of them being mentally ill. You know, this goes way back to the John Zeman era. Not only that, uh, we have credible reports that China has been engaging in uh, organ harvesting. Uh, uh, this is also a decades-long practices. And I'm, I'm so pleased that uh, pleased to report that there, this issue is gaining momentum, uh, gaining attraction, uh, uh, attention at, in the U.S. Congress. Uh, we have a bill uh, introduced recently to address this specific issue. At the end of the day, the Chinese uh, leadership uh, would need to recognize that people of faith actually not a threat to the society, actually helps to have a healthy society. This has been shown by uh, Falun Gong practitioners, uh, Tibetan Buddhists, and other people of faith. The, instead of spending so much money and resources on domestic security, Chinese needs to loosen up its um, restriction on religious practices. They need to get over with this fear of religion in general. Uh, they should allow the people of China, uh, all faith, to be able to live with dignity and to be able to practice their religion or adhere to their religious belief. You know, there have been uh, scientific uh, academic research uh, results been published the countries that respect religious freedom naturally becomes harmonious and peaceful society. So I'm just wondering from your perspective, you know, you all have released this report as you do every year. So what do you think that Western countries can do specifically within your organization in America uh, to oppose this type of religious persecution in China? We have recommended the United States government to approach or utilize 
whole of the government approach by elevating and integrating religious freedom as a key strategic objective in U.S. foreign policy toward China and by raising religious freedom concerns in all bilateral dialogue or engagement, if you will. We also call on the U.S. government to impose all uh, the sanctions tools or tools at our disposals uh, in our toolbox to expand um, the uh, sanctioning uh, over to the Chinese entities and officials that have been responsible for human rights abuses. We also wanted the U.S. government uh, to address, along with the allies, our allies and partners, uh, the uh, transnational repression. The Chinese uh, uh, government, uh, Chinese Communist Party, have been uh, engaging in malign activities in our uh, within our uh, uh, countries uh, in the United States and Europe. Which we're talking about a significant number of satellite police stations specifically established and functioned to silence the critics of the Chinese Communist Party. That has to stop. And those who have been designing, carrying out these activities uh, need to be held to account. Wow, thank you so much for laying that out in such a clear and concise way. I'm sure many abroad and at home are really appreciating the work that you all are doing to allow religious freedom across the globe. Thank you, Nuri. Thank you very much. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.